do you know what July is in the church? It's summer and craziness is going on, uh, but it's, it's camp month, right? We just had a bunch of senior high kids at camp this past week, some junior high kids the week before that. We've got more junior high kids going this week. My household will be kid-free this afternoon through Friday because both our kids are going. Hallelujah. Amen, brother. And so uh, I think we're going to get at least one date night in, I hope. Uh, but it's camp time. And, and camp time, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. I never went to a camp as a kid. I didn't. I went to a lot of VBS, a lot of summer Bible camp during the day. And I remember going to my grandma's house because she lived near the church and I would go there. My parents would drop me off and I'd have breakfast and then I would go to camp and then I would come back afterwards and stay there until my parents could come. All right, bring it up a little bit more, guys. And so I have great memories of VBS, which was very much like camp except for I still had to sleep at home. I don't think it was quite nearly as fun as, as what our kids are, are going to do. And I remember that we did some crazy things. We did crafts, and we did Bible stories. But we always had games, right? With kids, you've got to burn off the energy. And we played a game that, um, for the life of me, I'm not sure why the adults let us play it. Um, and it was called Red Rover. How many of you remember Red Rover? How many of you were blessed by Red Rover? <laughs> yeah, I, I loved the game. It, it's a crazy game, and I'll explain it here to you, but it's, it's uh, part strategy, part physical, I'm not going to say ability, I'm just going to say capacity, physical capacity. The idea is you would get two teams, you would divide up, and you would hold hands with your team, and then you would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jimmy right over. And Jimmy from the other team would have to run as hard and fast as he could and try to break through somewhere in your chain. And if he broke through, he got to pick someone on your team and bring him back to the other side. Now, if, if your hands held, what happened to Jimmy? He was now assimilated into your team. So there was a great amount of strategy that took place. Because if you chose the biggest and the strongest person on the other team, chances were very high that that person would break through and you would lose one of your people. At the same point, if you picked the smallest, the youngest, the slowest, chances were high that you would catch them. But now you had a potential weak link in your chain. So it, it, was, it was really a, a, a high-strategy game for elementary-age kids. I want you to look around. I want you to look to your left and to your right. And I, I want to make a point this morning. Because in a way, we here at Gateway, we here in the universal capital C Church of Christ are playing a crazy game of Red Rover. 
And oftentimes, we look around us and we say, you know what? Mike, uh, I don't know, he looks pretty tough. I don't think we'll call him over. Or we look and we say, yeah, Lulu, I think we could catch her, maybe. <laughs> and the problem is, we judge one another by what we see and not what God knows to be true about that person. We're playing this game where we're hanging on, hand in hand. We're holding on to the people next to us, and yet we look right and left, and we, we wonder, is this the weak link that I'm holding on to? Is this where the enemy is going to target to break through because they know there's opportunity there? And I want to challenge you as we talk this morning not to see the person next to you with your physical eyes. But begin to think about what God has done in bringing each and every person here. Each and every one. Every one of you. What God is doing in them and through them for the growth of his kingdom. How many people can we call over from the enemy's team and catch because of the strength that God is working in this row of young people right here, in this family of believers right here? How strong is our bond? How tight is our grasp? Last week, I talked about Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. And I want to do just a little bit of a recap because it, it'll help us go where we're going today. Joshua had led the people to the edge of the river. Moses was not going over. He had installed Joshua as the new leader. And three days before, he had said, get ready. Make your provisions ready. We're going to cross over, and you're going to see great things. And the night before, he sent officers out to all the camps, and he said, consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart tonight, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things in your sight. And we talked about obstacles and opposition. We talked about the physical things that get in our way. And we talked about the people things that get in our way from accomplishing what God has planned for us. We talked about the river as a physical obstacle. We talked about the people on the other side as opposition waiting for them. We talked about preparation having your provisions ready, being ready to follow God's lead. It was the ark, the representation of the presence of God, which entered the river carried by the priests, and the river stopped flowing. And consecrating, setting ourselves apart. 
We talked about obstacles and that to overcome them, we need to act in faith. Those priests carrying the ark had to step into the river before they saw the water stop. They had to trust in God's power. They had to believe that God will provide. He took care of the obstacle of the river. We talked about opposition, how even when we're facing an adversary that seems overwhelming, God has already prepared the way. We heard the testimony of Rahab to the spies when she said, our hearts, the hearts of the people in Jericho and the land around are melting in fear because we know what your God has done. Going all the way back to the parting of the Red Sea and more recently the defeat of the kings on the, the east side of the Jordan. And as we face opposition, we learn that God expects us to act. They had to cross the river. When they faced the walls of Jericho, they had to walk around. But more importantly, when the walls fell, they had to go up and take the city. We talked about obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. When was the last time a battle was won by walking around a city several times and blowing a horn? It worked in Jericho. Even when it's hard. I bypassed it pretty quickly, but chapter 5 of Joshua talks about some uncomfortable things that they did as they came through. Think about, think about the armies having to, to go in and take Jericho. They destroyed that city. That's not an easy task. Now, there's a whole other study that we can do that, that, that we can discuss about why God asked them to do that. And not just in Jericho, but throughout, throughout Canaan. But it's tough. It's hard sometimes. It's not always easy. And even when it hurts, sometimes it's painful. But that leads us to Red Rover. Before we go from here, let's, let's take a moment and pick teams. And by that I mean, let's make sure we're aligned with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as you created this world, you looked forward in time and you saw the church. That out of your great love for your creation and your people in particular, Lord, you planned from the very beginning that Christ would come and die as the perfect sacrifice for the sin you knew we would have. That you made a way out of the wilderness into your presence. And that you planned for us to have an inheritance. Lord, I ask today that by your spirit you would move in this building that every ear that hears, every eye that sees, every heart that seeks after you, Lord, would encounter your presence here today. I ask, Lord, that what I say would not be my words but would be your words through me. Help me, Lord, to be obedient. 
And for every person in here, Lord, I ask that you would help them by your spirit to encounter you, to hear from you, to know you more, to be drawn into your presence as we hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be covering a lot of ground in Joshua today. It's one of those books that you can study verse by verse and, and just get multitudes of, of life-giving thoughts. But I'm, I'm trying to take a, a bigger picture, higher picture view of it, and see what we can get out of it. Because I believe that we as a people, as a church, are stepping into a new season, as the Israelites were. And I believe that just as the Israelites had begun to receive some of their inheritance before the big day, before the river crossing, we too have been in a time of receiving from the Lord, but we're going to be seeing even more as we move forward. Joshua 1.12 says this, this comes right after Joshua sends the message out to the people. Get ready. We're about to go. He says this, To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Remember the command that Moses gave you after he said, the Lord will give you rest by giving you this land. So when did he say that and what did he say after? Go back about a year and a half to two years and something happened. The Israelites were nearing the Jordan. They were on the east side of the Jordan, the Transjordan. And they came up against two kings in that area and defeated them. It was that set of battles that was part of what Rahab had, had quoted, saying, we saw what you did on the other side of the river. They had defeated those kings, and members of the tribe, or leaders of the tribe of Reuben and of the tribe of Gad had come forward to Moses and said, We've, we've defeated this area. We've taken plunder, including a lot of livestock. And, and we, we tribes, the two of us, have a lot of livestock. And this area is good for livestock. It's great pasture land. Let us stay here instead of taking land on the other side of the river. And to be honest, Moses was, was not terribly happy with the request. If you go back to, to Numbers chapter 32, I believe, he talks about this isn't maybe a good idea. He actually says, why are you setting the Israelites up to have something to fear? Why are you stepping away when you should be stepping forward? Don't do this right now. And the leaders of these two tribes told Moses. They said, Moses, it, it's good land. And we are not going to step away from you. 
We pledge to you that as you go over, we will go with you and fight with you. We'll, we'll build cities here and, and we'll build sheep pens for our livestock. And we'll go in battle with you. And so the command that was given, following what Moses said, saying, okay, that will be your land. The command was, when we cross over, you have to go with us. And in fact, we're going to call on you because you are strong. We're going to call on you to lead the way. It continues, Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. Listen to these words. You are to help them until. Love that word. Until. Until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them did you get that you have already started to partake of the inheritance the promise that God is giving you but you will go and fight and you're going to help lead the way until all of Israel is where you are. Until they too experience the rest that I have for them. And they answered, Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. Whatever, wherever you send us, we will go. That's a pretty good response. We sang... A little earlier, I don't know if you can find it, Ty. Um, there's uh, a verse we sang. I want to say it was the third song. I'm not sure. It says, I give everything to you, God. It's all for you, Jesus. Don't worry about it, Ty. They heard this command. They were reminded of it from a couple years prior. And they said, whatever you've commanded us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And they throw a little caveat. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And if anyone rebels against your word, does not obey it, we'll put him to death. Only be strong and courageous. So they agree. They sign on. No, he's going to find it for me. There we go. Now, we have to take a step back and, and talk about why Reuben and Gad and, and why the half-tribe of Manasseh here a little bit. So I brought this picture. If we go back into the history a little bit, we'll remember Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, had four wives. There's the story of Leah and Rachel, the older and the younger sister, and Jacob loved Rachel 
but he had that little father-in-law issue. Leah was there. And so if you look, and I know it's small, but if you look on the far left, that first name, the firstborn of Jacob is actually Reuben. And then, if you look, the firstborn of Zilpah is Gad. And if you look, the half-tribe of Manasseh that's referred to isn't even in there. It's not even listed. That's because Manasseh came from the line of Joseph. And it's, it's interesting because as I, was, as I was researching, as I was studying, um, a lot of the commentaries, a lot of the thoughts that people put out about, about Reuben and Gad and why they stayed were, were actually pretty negative. Really negative, to be honest. The, the point usually was something to the effect of Reuben and Gad saw the farmland, the, the pasture land, and they were drawn away by their materialism, by their desire for that good land. And they never fully received what God had intended for them. Oh, I wonder what would have happened had they actually gone over and taken their inheritance there. And yet, what we read is that they received their inheritance. Maybe, just maybe, because Joseph was the one that was blessed in this family, firstborn of Rachel, Jacob's true love, Maybe they, as what in a normal family would have been rightful firstborn heirs, were just saying, hey, we know that's going to be Joseph's double portion to Manasseh and Ephraim, and this is really good for us. Let us stay here. Maybe this is the right place. And God blessed them. And it says they received their inheritance. They came to their place of rest. So I, I don't fault them. I don't want to fault them for not going over because I believe that God's picture for the people of Israel was maybe bigger than just one side of the river. I'm okay with that. The reason that I bring that up is because as we look at the map, you can see the river in the middle there. It goes from the, the Sea of Galilee in the north down to the Dead Sea. There's a big area on the right side of that picture, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. And you begin to see the double portion in size that Manasseh receives. That was part of the blessing from Jacob. You begin to see the broader picture. You can see the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites. That was actually part of Esau's line and also part of the promise given to Abraham on that side of the river. God's promises are bigger than sometimes we think. And so I don't, I don't fault the Reubenites or the Gadites or the half-tribe of Manasseh that ended up staying in the Transjordan, the east side. And here's why. I, I, I struggled with this a little bit. I wanted to make sure I wasn't <clears throat> adjusting my theology to fit my message. <clears throat> but here's the deal. I think a lot of you in here are Reubenites and Gadites 
and folks from the tribe of Manasseh. And here's why. I believe some of you have come into your metaphorical inheritance. You are living out the promises of God in your life. You have received the blessings of God. You are walking faithfully. And it's really hard for me to finish my message if some of you don't understand that. Because here's the, here's the crux of it. What we learn about the Israelites and God's plan for them is that it's not all about you. I had someone shake my hand earlier and say, hey, bring it strong this morning. And I asked if he had his steel toe boots on. I have an old friend in Montana who would always say that. He'd say, preacher, step on me today. So you got toes that are willing to be stepped on? Some of you are Reubenites and Gadites. You are strong warriors. You are part of the 80,000 that lead the way. But the same words that were spoken to them are spoken to you, and you need to hear them because it's part of how God operates. God hasn't changed. The covenant has changed. Jesus has come. And we're no longer under the law of Moses. We're under, under the law of grace, and, and that grace is in and through and from of Jesus But Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. He is the fulfillment of this, and, and God has not changed. So here's what happens. I believe God is speaking to many of you today, saying, don't forget, don't forget. Remember when Remember when we had that conversation and you said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior? Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I surrender. Part of that conversation probably included or, or maybe should have included something along the lines of, Lord, I, I surrender all. I give you my life. I want you to be my savior, to, to be the one that I follow completely. And depending on the moment, some of you may have even been in a bartering mode and said, Lord, I'm going to do this, this, and this, this, if, if only you'll save me. And sometimes he shows up in those moments and grabs our heart. Do you remember the command? In John 15, Jesus says, if you love me, finish the line for me. Somebody, pop quiz. If you love me, obey my commands. Sounds a lot like this. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they would not be done until they had helped lead the way for the rest. Do you see how that translates to you Reubenites, Gadites. 
Some of you have received, and yet your, your job is not done. The role you play is not complete. Do you believe that everyone in this room has achieved their rest? Has come into the inheritance that God has for them? Eh, we might be pretty close. A lot of great people here that I know love the Lord and serve him. What if I go out a half mile? Neighborhood over here, over there, over there. How many of you live within a mile of the church? Okay, a few of you. How many of you live within five miles of the church? Okay, there's a good group. Do you believe that everyone within that five-mile circle has come into their rest? Is receiving the inheritance they have? Has come into the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ? Anybody say yes? No. Then your work is not done. And you know why? Paul wrote to the Ephesians, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and listen to this, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There are members of God's intended family that have not yet come into their rest. And you, Reubenites, Gadites, those who have received, you have a job. And maybe, maybe you're the big, strong, physically fit person that no matter who is standing next to you in the Red Rover line, no one will run through because they know it doesn't matter how strong the person next to you is, your hand will not let go. That was part of the strategy in Red Rover. If you had someone who, who was smaller, you'd put them next to a big person and that big person could hang on as the person came through. They were strong enough for the both of them for that activity. How many of you live within 20 miles of Elk River? Most of you. Anywhere near done? Is our, is our job done? Not even close. Not even close. Don't forget the command. You see, the way that it was set up, and, and you'll see this illustrated as we talk through a little bit more here, there was this idea of responsibility that the, that the, the Israelites had. And, and if you look at some of the Jewish teachings around the book of Joshua, there's this concept of collective responsibility and individual responsibility. We have a responsibility. And it's to fight for one another. It's to go into battle. There's something else we learn here, though, and, and this, this is interesting. In chapter 5, this is just before they go into Jericho, says this in verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day of the month while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. So they had come out of Egypt and Passover was established as a remembrance of the night that 
that the, the, the Spirit passed over those who had the blood of the Lamb on their doors. And they come out of Egypt across the Red Sea, and now they come across the Jordan into the Promised Land, and they celebrate Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. That in itself doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. They came in, they've gathered some of the produce of the land that they're now taking. But it's interesting because the very next verse says this, 5.12, the manna, the man, do you remember the manna? Forty years wandering in the desert, they have been picking up manna off the floor of the desert every single day but one every week. Every day they would go out in the morning and they would gather manna and it would be just enough. And they were told, don't gather enough for more than one day except on the sixth day of the week. Gather two days worth so that you have some for tomorrow to cover the Sabbath. Forty years they've been eating manna and quail in the desert. And now they come into the promised land and they celebrate the Passover and the manna stops. The day after they ate the food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Grow up and start taking care of yourself. Now again, here's, if, if you've got those boots, put them on. God provides ways to speak to you, to bless you, to encourage you, to show his grace, but he expects something. Responsibility. As we enter a new season, I, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. And if you don't like me, it's great because what can you do? I'm not preaching next week, so you're okay. I'm going to throw it out there. You are responsible for your own physical and spiritual nourishment. If you ever come up to me and complain that you're just not getting fed, I might throw up in your face. It's as blunt as I can be. You are responsible for your physical and spiritual nourishment. If you come on Sunday and hear a wonderful message and that's all you do all week long, shame on you. You're responsible. The manna has stopped. Go get some daily bread. Don't get enough for a week at a time on Sunday. You had to get it every day. Go get some daily bread. What is that? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus himself is the bread of life. If you are not encountering him 
seeking him, hearing from him, learning more about him, becoming, oh, to be like him. That was the one I was looking for, I think. Oh, to be like him. If you're not moving in that direction, you're missing out. You want to be more like Jesus? Start acting like his body. Start interacting with one another. Get in a life group. Find a group of people that that you converse with, that can bless you and share what God is speaking to them, and that you can bless and share what God is speaking to you. Get to know someone and ask them a question like this. What's God saying to you this week? What's he working on in your life? I love it when people ask me that because guess what? He's doing something. He's the author and perfecter of my faith. He's doing something in my life. And if I'm excited about it, I'm happy to share it. That's part of being the Reubenite, the Gadite. That's part of helping your fellow receivers of inheritance come into their promise. It's not all about you, but you have responsibility. You want to bring it a step deeper, we jump ahead to Joshua 7, and I'm going to read a little bit here, so listen along. After Jericho, something happens. They walk around the city six times, and on the seventh day, they walk around seven, and they blow the horn, and they give a shout, and the walls come, and they go in, and they take the city And then it says the next place they go is this little town called I, spelled A-I. And Joshua sends a couple of spies to go do some reconnaissance, and they come back, and they say something pretty interesting. They say, you know what? It's a small place. It's a little town. It's not going to—no problem. We find out later it's about 12,000 people. So these spies say, Joshua, don't send the whole army. Don't, don't weary the whole army. Just send eh, two or 3,000. Send a smaller group. Get it out of the way. We'll be done. Don't have to worry about the whole army. Do you know what happens at AI? That group of 3,000 that Joshua sent turns tail and runs and 36 of their men are killed that day fleeing in fear from this little town of Ai. Now I think it's interesting. I, I, I believe that God is incredibly creative and he likes to play with word puns sometimes. You know what Ai means in our culture? Artificial intelligence. It's all the rage. If, you're, if you have anything to do with technology, business, marketing, Someone says AI, artificial intelligence. It's all these incredibly complex algorithms that get written to figure things out faster, quicker, better than what a person could do. Artificial intelligence. Guess what? The word that those spies came back with was artificial intelligence. It wasn't from the real source. Because when they come back defeated, 
And the word gets to Joshua. What does he do? He falls on his face along with other leaders around him and they throw dust on their head and he rends his garments and, and he cries out, God, God, why aren't you with us? Oh, God. And, and it's interesting. <laughs> he starts telling God, oh, what are they going to think of us? The word's going to get out and the, the rest of the, the country that we're supposed to be taking, they're going to hear about this defeat and, and they're no longer going to be fearful of us. And oh God, that's not going to be good for your reputation. That's what Joshua says in effect. What are they going to say about you, God? And what does God do? He gives them some real intelligence, some real knowledge. He says to Joshua, get up, stop groveling, You were defeated because there's sin in the camp. You remember Jericho? The, the little, you know, I told you to go up and destroy the city. Except for the devoted things, there were some things that had been set aside, and we don't get a list or anything, but there's some devoted things. Guess what? I told you not to mess with those. Those were mine. Someone took some of those. There's sin in the camp. You can't defeat this little village Because there's sin in the camp. And God tells him to call the tribes and call the families. And, and so then the next day, Joshua does this. And, and it goes from the tribe to the family to a man named Achan. And Achan finally confesses, yes, I took something and it's buried in my tent. Go get it. And they get it. And then God gives the real battle plan. And the real battle plan is to go and set an ambush. And guess what? They take AI. You know, I, 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 I said I was struggling last week at the beginning of the message because I'm, I, I was speaking last week about God doing these amazing things. And the follow-on question to that, and, and it even happened in a couple of conversations with people, is why don't we see that? Why is it we think that we're praying in faith and we don't see the outcomes that we expect? Why don't we see the miraculous, powerful hand of God working among us the same way that, that the stories in the Bible tell us he worked then? And, and I would argue a couple of things. One, I would say he is working and we are seeing it in certain places. And we're either ignoring it or we're not giving him credit. But two, I think there are places that he probably would be doing more if we would get into the center of his will more effectively. Tie the boots up a little bit tighter. You see, there's, there's this common thread that, that comes throughout this story the Reubenites and the Gadites had to go forward and, and fight until the others had rest and, and they received their defeat, the first defeat in the, in the new promised land because one out of what scholars think might have been roughly three million people had sinned. Now I know we're not under the law and it's not the same time frame as we're under now, but there's something to be learned. God still expects us to be obedient.
And I think where we find ourselves is we've got a church so oftentimes with 20 weak, unprepared people in a row. And it doesn't matter who we call over because we don't have a good grip anywhere in the line. Or at least there's so many holes that, that the enemy just comes at us. Paul even talked about it in, in relation to communion. He said, some of you are sick because you're taking communion and you're not in a good place with God when you do it. You're eating and drinking condemnation onto yourself. Why was it so important that Joshua said the night before, consecrate yourself. Don't just get ready, be ready. God said very clearly to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. I'm guilty, Lord. Forgive me. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I won't be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. People, we gotta, we gotta clean up our acts. There's no other way to put it. I'm sorry if this is too blunt. We talk about filling this place, and I believe Pastor Jeff is gonna lead us into some great things. But the best leader in the world will not be able to accomplish anything if every one of us is not holding hands, strengthening ourselves, getting right with God, and being as effective, empowered, and passionate about the work of the kingdom in our one-mile radius, our five-mile radius, this county, this state, and around the world. If we are not passionate about what God has for me and for you, and I say that this way, if I am not passionate about what God has for me, and I am not passionate about what God has for you, we're not going to make it. We have individual responsibility, and we're pretty good at that in the U.S. In fact, we've, we've made that a doctrine. Individual responsibility, yes. Yes. But we have a collective responsibility because we are part of a body. And the body of Christ right now walks around with an arm in the sling because the rest of the body doesn't care about the injury that's over here. When you look right and you look left, Find in your heart, and if you can't ask God to give it to you, find a sense of responsibility to help that person next to you. Period. Reubenites, Gadites, get on board. But 
You want to hear it clearly? I'm going to read these quickly to you and see if you can figure out the repeating theme. Joshua 10.7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. Verse 29. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on. 31. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on. 34. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on. 36. Then Joshua and all Israel went with him. 38. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around. Verse 40. So Joshua subdued the whole region. The whole region of Goshen to Gibeon, all these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Verse 43, then Joshua returned with all Israel. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven times in chapter 10, with all Israel. We're not going to be offend, uh, effective sending a small part of our army to do this battle. Can't happen. We'll lose every time. We'll turn tail and run and the world will see it. We need to go together, folks. That means we need to do our part. That means we need to understand what our part is. If you don't know your part, ask. Pastor Jeff is going to be doing a series on James, and one of my favorite verses is at the beginning of James, and he talks about if any among you is sick, let him call upon the elders, and the elders will come and pray, and that person will be healed, and it's followed up immediately by this amazing statement. It says, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord, and the Lord will give abundantly and without reproach. If you don't know what your role is, ask. Find out. Seek. Because we have to do it together. Finally, in Joshua eleven twenty three, it says, So Joshua took the entire land. They've taken the southern area, the northern area, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. And we spend a lot of time later on in the book saying exactly where all of those things are. It showed up on the map. Then the land had rest from war. And in verse 22, after we talk about the divisions, it says, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. You have obeyed me in everything. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Wonderful. Except the next word is but. <laughs> and we're going to wrap up with this. But. Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. And guess what? This is, this is echoed in the New Testament. This is how it's, how it's boiled down in the book of Joshua. This is the commandment, the law that Moses gave. Love the Lord your God 
walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their homes. Just like the musketeers, one for all and all for one. When all Israel went, they were victorious. When even a small portion sinned, it caused distress. You gotta own your own nourishment. You can't rely on the pastor Sunday morning to give you everything you need. God has some, here's the thing, I don't know what you need. Pastor Jeff isn't going to know exactly what you need. God does. And by his Holy Spirit, he can speak to you and work in your heart. He knows, get in his presence. I'm going to ask if the ushers would prepare. We're going to take our offering And while they're coming up, I'm going to ask the worship team to come too. But I just want to read you some quotes, and I, I want you to think about these. These were quotes about the church that I found, and I, th- I think they're powerful because it speaks to our collective responsibility. This is from the Old Testament, but this, this holds so true in the New Testament, more so. There are about 56 incidences of the phrase one another in the New Testament in relation to the members being in the body. This is the mutual giving and receiving in the body. Without every member of the body functioning, the body will be crippled or handicapped. It's from Henry Hahn in his book, Unfolding God's Purpose from House to House. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, we do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Charles Spurgeon said this, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. One hundred religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization does not constitute a church any more than eleven dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life. Always. Are you alive in Christ? Are you seeking everything he has for you? And as part of that, are you allowing him to use you? You will grow as you serve the body. And you have a responsibility to do so. That was A.W. Tozer. David Jeremiah said this, the only way the corporate body of Christ will fulfill the mission Christ has given it is for individual Christians to have a vision for fulfilling that mission personally. We got to do it together, but that means every one of us has to be on board. Part of how we do that is we, we give back to the work of the kingdom here. I'm going to ask that as we prepare our hearts, we, we go to a time of prayer, and, and I want God to be working on you. 
And I want you to be working with him to hear what he has for you. What's the assignment? What's the command? What's the directive, Reubenites? How are we going to go get all of those people that still are not at rest into their promise? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are such a generous God. Generous to the point of giving your own son to die for us, to take our sin, to pay the price that we deserve. Lord God, I ask that as we give back a portion of the blessings you've poured out upon us, Lord, that we would have joyful hearts, that we would be excited to see your kingdom move forward. And Lord, that we would, we would buy in, we would, we would be all in to be chasing after everything that you have, not only for us, but for the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.